Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. This is Pastor Carl. Thanks for joining us in this week's podcast. Normally, our podcast contains everything between the Apostles' Creed and the altar ministry. After the offering, we recite the creed, and then we lay hands on one another for peace and breakthrough and joy and whatever someone may need. We just consider it body ministry. Then when I finish that, we pick up the podcast. But this week, Holy Spirit moved during the time in between the offering and before we recited the creed. And we wanted to include that this week. So we pray that this ministers to you and that you would receive breakthrough in your area of need during this time of ministry. And then we'll pick up the message. Hallelujah. 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 Before we go into our Apostles' Creed, I want to say hello to the Rentlers who are out of town taking care of Sue's brother who is fighting uh, he got out of the hospital, praise God. The, when they went to the, when they went, this is, this is kind of what's happened in our house in this season of grace that Duke talked about. They had to rush to uh, Tennessee. I think it was Knoxville, but Tennessee's all one city as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and they basically said that her, uh, her brother, um, the, doctor, the doctor said, well, it's in God's hands. Uh, just, get, just prepare for the funeral. And uh, four days later, five days later, I think he's home. And, and so... And so, you know, you know, those are scary words doctors have, you know, and uh, if you weren't a Christian, you know, you're at the mercy of the doctor. But we believe something different. Amen. We, I believe in science. I don't mean different than science. I'm, don't, don't get me wrong here. I believe in science. Uh, but I also believe that God has the last word. Amen. Right. And so we're going to declare what we believe today because what we believe matters. What we believe actually matters. Now, some people don't believe in gravity. It does not matter what they believe because gravity is going to work, right? Some people don't believe if they rob a liquor store, they're not going to the, the, the prison. They don't matter what they believe. They are, they are, they are uh, fighting against reality. But there is a greater reality that is our God who sent his son to die on a cross that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, that is reality. And there are people who don't believe in that, Mikey. There's people who don't believe in that reality, but you know what, Chris? One day they're going to find out. Just like if you jump off a bridge and you flap your arms, you're going to hit the ground. One day this life's going to end, and a reality is coming for some folk. They're going to be like, I should have listened to Duke. I should have listened to Miriam. I should have listened to some folks who know. I should have listened to Pastor, because all that stuff was real. As real, real. Some people are going to jump off the bridge and then find out I was right. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's declare what we believe. Amen. Let's just go and do that before Carl keeps talking. Let's declare. Ready? Nice and bold. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll come again, the living and 
Yes. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Who's happy about life everlasting? Who's happy about some everlasting life? Who's happy about some life that will never end? Who's happy about glory to glory to glory to glory? Who's happy that Jesus gets the last word? The doctor one day can say, you can just go ahead and take your husband home. I don't have no hope. I say, well, I don't need your hope. I got the hope of God right now. I got a word on my side. I got the word of God with me. The Holy Ghost unspoken to my life. Who's happy about that? The bank account says you ain't going to pay rent, but you got a word from God that you're going to pay rent and you're going to late in the midnight hour. God rarely is early, but he is always on time. My Bible says that had never seen the righteous forsaken. Come on, or what? Or is he begging for bread? Come on, somebody who is thankful that God has come through for you. Who is thankful that God has shown himself to be faithful? Who is thankful that God has shown himself to be worthy of your praise and adoration? I feel a grace for thankfulness right now. Just go ahead and just for 10, 15 seconds, just begin to run off the list of things you have to be thankful for. They thought they were going to bury me, but they didn't. They thought I was going to be in jail, but they didn't. They thought I was going to be a druid. Come on, somebody. Is anybody in the room thankful for Jesus this morning? Is anybody thankful that your kids, you thought they were going to go left, but God made them go right? How many are you happy that your kid could have been in that destruction, but the Lord rescued them, rescued them at the last minute? People said you weren't going to make it. They said your kids weren't going to make it. But God said, God said, they're in my hands, and I have not lost one, Jesus said. I have not lost one that you have placed in my hand. Thank you, Jesus, that you placed me. Thank you, Jesus, that I am in the hands of the living God. I'm not at the mercy of the world. I'm not at the mercy of the government. I'm not at the mercy of my boss. I'm at the mercy of the Most High God. And He declares my victory. He declares my, my steps. He knows where I'm going. He declares my path. He knew me before I was formed in the womb. It has a thought in a come on somebody. Is anybody thankful? Hallelujah! 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 I say all that to say breakthrough is in the room. To say breakthrough is in the room. Now take your anointed hands that are saturated in breakthrough and lay hands on two or three people right now and say it's a season of grace for you. It's a season of breakthrough for you. Come on. It's a season of prosperity for you. It's a season of overcoming for you. I feel like there's some words coming to pass in your lives in this season. It's time for some packages to be delivered that have been delayed in the heavens. And I feel like in this season, these things are coming through for people. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Chris got me worked up right here. He got me worked up right here. Shake Hey, I make no apologies for being excited about Jesus. I have found him worthy to be excited about. I have found that he has never disappointed me. He has never let me down. He ain't never lied on me once. Never once. 
I, I got excited about some sporting teams and they let me down recently. My heart was a little broken and downcast and forlorn. But then I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up, seated upon a throne at the right hand of the Father. I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm in a happy mood right now. I feel like I could vibe like this all day, Mikey. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I could vibe right here in the presence of the Holy Ghost. I could vibe in the presence of hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, your presence is better than life. Your presence is better than life. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry if you're a visitor. You're like, what is happening right now? Let me tell you what's happening right now. Let me tell you what's happening right now. What's happening right now is you, you, I went out on, I didn't know this, but it was a divine appointment with Jesus and Carl. And, and, and I came up here with a message, but Jesus said, Carl, I'm just going to love on you right now for a minute. And you're watching date night with Jesus right now. That, that's kind of what's happening. God is with me, flowing over me by his presence. His anointing is here right now. His anointing is here right now. I feel like the Lord is healing somebody right now. Right now in your abdomen, there's an issue, but the presence of God is moving right now in somebody. Oh, come on, put your hand on where you need God to move right now. Just put it, put your hand on. Oh, we declare freedom and healing right now. 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 Someone has had night terrors. Night terrors. Um, all kinds of odd anxieties have visited some people, but in specific, someone has had nightmares and 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 um. You wake up, your heart is pounding. You're just having these successive nightmares. You don't know what's going on. And um, I'm not here to um, be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or even a, a therapist because the root of this thing is spiritual. And I believe that the enemy has been plaguing some people with night terrors and odd anxieties. And I feel like the Lord wants to heal you right now. I believe the Lord is going to is going to end this and some someone is um you've had panic attacks in this season and it's weird for you now some some of us it ain't weird and i'm believing for healing for you as well but there are some weird panic attacks that happen and i believe the lord the lord is going to heal that he's going to deliver you right now i just i just see this tormenting of the devil in your mind and oh oh yes lord okay <clears throat> um now, I'm, I'm, I believe that God is God. We talked about this in the morning meeting. God, it's not like the devil's in control sometimes and God is in control other times. But, but at the same point, I do know that the devil, the Bible says not to be ignorant of his devices. And there's someone in the room, at least one person. In, um, I believe that uh, a former minister put a, put a hex on you. There's a, it was, he wasn't operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though you saw supernatural. He actually had a, had a spirit of divination. Oh, I feel that. I feel it right now. Wow. And you feel it in your head. It's like a clamp. It's starting to clamp down on your head. And that's the power of the enemy that we're going to break right now. Who will stand in agreement with me that we're going to break the power of the devil in all three of these things right now? Right 
now. It's going to be for in the name of Jesus. Duke, help me out. In the name of Jesus, we command night terrors to be broken. We command anxieties to be broken. We command deliverance in the name of Jesus from every vexing attack of the devil. We declare freedom in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare deliverance in the name. Deliverance in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. No, you're all right. The love of God right here. The love of God. Come on, come on, come on, come on. The love of God. The love of God. Ah, right there, freedom. Freedom of your life right now. It goes right now. Come on, everybody in the room, it goes right now. It goes right now, the blood of Jesus. It goes right now. Amen. 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 Now put your hand on your heart and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. If you're a visitor, just this isn't normal. I'm not normally like this, but I just felt like this is, you know, I kind of come from a background where we get a little demonstrative and uh, we get a little excited about Jesus. And if you don't understand what's happening, forgive me for not teaching. But sometimes there's things like that are psychological, there's things that are physical, but there's also things that are spiritual. And you got to deal with spiritual things, spiritual ways. And I just feel like there's some people, you've done everything the world told you to do to get rid of your anxiety, and they got no answers because it's spiritual. And I'm just believing some people in this room just got free. Just got free. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. Yeah, yeah, give a clap over the Lord. So we just declare a fulfilling of the Spirit. We break every un... Amen, amen, amen. Give somebody a hug near you if you would. And then you can find, you can find your seat. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. 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 You say amen. Psalm 63, if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to read out of the Word of God. You ready? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. God, you are my God. I shall be watching for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and exhausted land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory because your favor is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with fat and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand takes hold of me. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's try it again. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Chris. Amen. 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 I saved this obituary that I have. I collected it a number of years ago, and every now and then I pull it out and I read it. I want to share it with you today. Hold on a second. I got this little dealie here. Here, Here we go. Put it up if you would. Josh and I are fighting each other. Put it up if you would, Josh. Let's read it together. This is, this is Dolores Aguilar. This is, this, is a, 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 this, is, this is her obituary. It says that she died, and uh, she was born in 1929. She died in 2008, and her husband had passed before her. And then like a normal obituary, it goes through the living family members who were still around after she had passed. And then if we fast forward a little bit, it says Dolores had no hobbies made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed. That's, now we're getting dark, right? Now, now this, is, this, is, this, is, this is getting a little ugly. Let's read it together here. Look at this out. Her presence will not be missed. Oh, by many, very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores, and amongst ourselves, we will remember her in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we will think of those times too, but I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had, a good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she's finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope that this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and great-grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, mom. Ouch, not what I want written about me after I pass. How about you? Just kind of just crazy. Let, let me tell you, when, when it's time for me, Mikey, can you, um, if you're in the room, can you help make sure that I don't have an echo going on here? When it's time for me to hang up my Bible and go home to be with Jesus, I want people to say that I live a life well lived. How about you? I would like them to say that he lived his life to the fullest, because that's what Jesus actually have. I, I want a life that has meant something, a life that contributed to the well-being of those people around me, a life that was a net gain to my friends and family. Sadly, many people never get beyond the anxieties, the petty conflict, the grind to get ahead, and the constant struggle to keep up and move on to living their lives. Have you ever noticed that we keep saying next year is when I'll live my life? Next year is when we're going to have that honeymoon. Next year, we're going to celebrate. Next year. And sometimes that year never comes. Sometimes people get so frustrated that we didn't live the life we wanted. We get to a breaking point, and they just like, it's a, it's a YOLO. Ah, you only live once. I might as well throw off all my cares, and then they just 
fall into some sort of self-destructive behavior. They go from one end of doing nothing to going to the other end and casting off all sensibilities and moving into self-destruction. We need a life that is human flourishing. We need to live a life of prosperity, not just outward, but, but inward. We need to live a life on purpose. You see, Jesus came that we would flourish. And, and the devil knows that. The devil knows what flourishing looks like. And, and, and Jesus flipped the script on what the devil wants. The Bible says in John 10.10 that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest or to more abundant or just above and beyond or whatever version of the Bible you read it. All reads the same. We clearly know what the devil wants for our lives, but God has a good plan where we flourish. But so many of us never actually move into that flourishing, and this is what we've been trying to talk about. John writes again in 1 John 3, 8, that the very reason that Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. I'm I'm so pleased in this. Because so many of us mistakenly spent time agreeing with the enemy in our lives. And then we just see a mess that he's made all around us. But Jesus didn't say, I just came to kind of help you cope with what the devil is doing. Jesus didn't say, I, I, I think I might try to figure some things out and I can, I can help a little bit. No, no, no. John said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So where in your life you see this havoc that the enemy has wrought, where you see the destruction that the enemy has built, when you see the chaos that the enemy has created, Jesus didn't just come with a plan to get you out of it. He came to destroy all of that stuff that the devil has done. You say amen. amen. That's good news right there, that you may see yourself at the bottom of a pit right now, not knowing how you're going to get out. But Jesus didn't just come to give you a ladder out of the pit. He came to destroy the pit itself. He came to make a whole new life for you. But real quick before we move on, there's three things I want you to understand about Jesus and and what he has come to do. Next slide, please, Josh. for For Jesus, we know that the devil was real. There's a lot of people arguing today theologically, is there really a devil? Is there hell or not? For Jesus, the devil was real. And if you follow Jesus, we kind of got to take his words as truth. Otherwise, we're not really a follower. Uh, Next one, Josh, please. The devil was real and the devil is evil personified. So we know, according to Jesus, there there is a way of life, a way of flourishing that he wants us to walk in, and there is a way of destruction, and the one at the head of that destruction, Jesus named uh, the devil. And what we also find out is, next, Josh, please, uh, for Jesus, the devil was real, the devil is evil personified, and Jesus came to destroy what the devil has done. Can you say amen? Amen. This, This is what Jesus came for. And this is, this is what flourishing looks like. And so in our message series that we're in now, Flip the Script, we are seeing what the enemy has done in our lives. Maybe what bad choices have done. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, you're like, oh, the devil, I, I don't know. 
okay, let's talk about the evil people that you've known, that the devil has animated his plan through, and what they have done in your life, and the a trajectory they have tried to put you on. Jesus came to flip the script on that, so that we could do the opposite in our lives of what the enemy has already wrought. Can you say amen? This is what we want to do in this message series. Notice that Jesus didn't come here so we could live a life fighting the devil. Jesus didn't come so that we could be some sort of warrior bride where we're constantly swinging a sword and we're fighting the devil. Like the devil has already been beaten. Jesus completely defeated him on the cross. And uh, I, I know we like to be victorious, especially us men. Among us, we like to fix things. We like to, to, to conquer things. We like to lift heavy things. We, we like to know stuff, right? That's what guys like to do. But Jesus is, is a man also, and he did all of that already. And so what we get to do is just go in, and Jesus is so cool, because like in World War II, so like these soldiers came in, and they took Paris away from the Nazis, and then those soldiers had to keep moving on to the front. And what they do is they got new soldiers who got to do this parade into Paris. And the guys who captured Paris was like, wait, how, how, these guys didn't even fight and they're getting a parade, and here we are. See, that's us. Jesus won the fight, and we just get to come in on the parade. We just get to move in on the parade, and it's like, thank you, yes, yes, look at me. Look, yes, yes, I conquered that thing. I overcame alcoholism. I can't overcame my bad family thing. Thank you very much. Yes, 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 yes. Appreciate it so greatly. You know, and then some of us were religious enough to go, oh, but it was Jesus, right? But, but we know, we, we know, like, we get to, like, if you're saved today, you know you didn't do that, right? You, you know, you know you couldn't have done that. You know, you, that was Jesus. That was you. At the end of the day, it was all Jesus. And, and Jesus came so that, that like, so we could flourish, not so we can start from the bottom of the pit and spend our entire lives trying to get up out of it. He wants us to start out of the pit through his victory and just climb from there. This is the hope of Jesus for your life. And Dolores Aguilar, gosh, her family, I just pray for them to be at a place where you write that obituary, please, just don't write one for me, right? I would just appreciate <laughs> if we get to that place, just, just let me be. Just, just let me do my thing. She didn't flourish, and we pray that her family will. And, uh, and, 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 and I've been trying to do a deep dive in the scriptures, doing a deep dive in psychology, because we have to understand, if we're going to flourish as humans, we have to understand how humans work. Sometimes we just we think that to really be godly, we somehow get disembodied. Let me explain that really quick. If you're a visitor or you're kind of new to Christianity, um, uh, there's kind of a theology out there or a belief about God that somehow we become Christians and when God speaks to us, it's, it's not us, it's something wholly other than us. And when we do godly things, it's not us. Jesus somehow takes over the body and does good things. Or if, if someone gets a prophetic word, like, like earlier today at the end of worship, I just had this sense that God wanted to set some people free, wanted to heal some things, right? Now, now that wasn't Jesus taking over my body. That was Carl who thought he heard God and said what he thought he was supposed to say. If Jesus actually took over and did that, I guarantee it would have been better, right? Like it, we all, we all would have been delivered of things we didn't even know we needed deliverance of. <laughs> 
we would have seen the, the heavens open and angels ascending and descending. We might have heard the voice of the Father, right? So that wasn't Jesus. That was Carl, hopefully partnering with Holy Spirit to, to, to let God's will be done on earth. That was hopefully allowing Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to move in the room. We don't get disembodied when we become Christians because God actually loves our body because you know what? God has a body. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And so I see these people who talk about how much God hates the earth and he's going to unleash his wrath on the earth any moment now, but that would include Jesus's body. And my Bible says his wrath is satisfied. And so we need to get our theology, like we can't just have this hodgepodge of theology that doesn't make sense with itself. We, we need our, our, our systematic theology where stuff kind of makes sense. And I'm like, well, well, if God is mad at the earth, why is his spirit here? If his spirit, if, his, if, if the goal is that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, why would he put his glory on something he hates? No, no, no. The truth is that Jesus died for the world. And he wants us to cooperate with him so that we can flourish. But I was talking to these psychologists because I'm trying to understand how this works. And I did this, this little study on, 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 on early child trauma. And, and here, here's, what, here's what we find. If, I'm not going to say anything triggering here, but guard your heart. So what, what they found is this thing called adverse childhood experiences. ACE for short, adverse childhood experiences. And here's what they found. These adverse childhood experiences, here's kind of a a list of them, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical or emotional neglect, exposure to domestic violence, exposure to household members who were substance abusers, exposed Exposure to household members who are mentally ill, suicidal, or in prison. Anybody seeing their childhood kind of flash on the screen right now? They, what they found is that if these things appeared in adults, if these things appeared in, in a person's childhood, adults who've been exposed to like four of these things as children, they're four times more likely to be depressed as adults. They are 12 times more likely to attempt a suicide than adults who did not experience these. These individuals are more likely to experience social, emotional, and cognitive impairments and are at greater risk for physical illnesses such as heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease, and liver disease. This is what science tells us. Science tells us when the devil runs the household that children grow up to have less flourishing lives. This is what we know as believers. We know raise up a child in the way he should go and he shall not depart from it. And it goes both ways. Amen? If you teach a child dysfunction, he's going to grow up to be a dysfunctional adult. But if you teach a child how to be loved, that she is cared for and she's protected and that she's safe and that she is loved unconditionally, she grows up to be a person who knows how to love, knows how to be at peace, knows knows how to live in a way that she can flourish. This science, all it's doing is trying to catch up with God. We've known this for years. People say, oh, Christians, Christians don't care about mental health. Christians are judgmental and they're bigoted. Well, the loudest ones generally are. The loudest Christians are generally the ones I want talking for us the least. 
Uh, but you can't read the New Testament without hearing them talk about anxiety. You, you can't read the Psalms without reading about depression and how to deal with it, how to deal with the ailments of life. You can't read the Proverbs without learning how to live at peace with your family, with your neighborhood, with the people around you. It's all over the Scripture. Human flourishing is not just God changing everything around us. Human flourishing is God changes circumstance, but more importantly, He changes how we react to circumstance. Maybe you saw yourself in that childhood. You know, I grew up, I grew up in Delray on 10th Street. And uh, when back in the day on 10th Street, uh, everything north of 10th Street was African-American, uh, except for me and my family, right? Everything south of 10th Street was mostly um, uh, Latino farm labor, mostly Mexican, but also a lot of Puerto Ricans. And that's what Delray was like back then. Out west, uh, there, were, there were white folk, but I didn't live in that part. And so I like to tell people, in the Delray I grew up, we had every color but green because it was broke, right? We, were just, it just, we had every color in my neighborhood but green. <laughs> we were just all poor. And, uh, and, and that's a childhood trauma that will drag on with you the rest of your life. You will find yourselves dealing with your childhood trauma forever until we stop and we face it and we ask Jesus, how do I deal with this? How do I flourish in the face of these things? We, we have to remember the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says for you, I come that you would have life and have it abundantly. That's not just getting by, friend. That's not like I, I have barely enough grace to make it through the week. No, 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 no. That's not like I can just tolerate my job. No, no, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just so you can tolerate your life. He came so you can have life abundantly. Amen. Abundantly. This is what, this is what Jesus came for. Now, it's easy as we get a little older to start judging our parents and being like, well, they should have done a better job. When I become a parent, I'm going to do it differently. Who said that? And then you become a parent, and you're like, oh, that's why she was losing her mind. <laughs> oh, that's why I just, I just left some plates out in the, in the sink. Oh, now I get it. It was the 27th day in a row that I messed up the kitchen right after. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right after she, now, okay, my mom was a little crazy, but still, now I get it. I get it, man. Parenthood has a way of humbling you, right? Parenthood has a way of humbling you. But I've been talking about, we need to come up with a definition of human flourishing. My voice, I don't know what the Holy Ghost did, but my voice, I done lost it. It was Chris's drumming, I do believe. Uh, <clears throat> we'll just blame it on him. Hallelujah. <clears throat> we, we, need, we need to come up personally. We need to come up with a definition of human flourishing, and we need to learn how to flourish even if we don't get what we want, right? We need to, we need to okay, what does, what, does, what does prosperity look for my life? What does success look for my life? What does, what does getting ahead look like in my life? What is, if, what, what at the end of the day will my family agree that flourishing looks like? We need to have a vision for what flourishing looks like in every area of our lives, we need to know where are we going on this journey with God. And, and so as the dawn of civilization, flourishing, flourishing began to be uh, 
kind of defined and shaped by the person getting the most of everything you want. We're going to take a deep dive real quick on, on what, what, what the thought leaders of the world have thought about what flourishing looks like. Now, in the beginning, flourishing was kind of defined, it was called hedonic. This is where we get the word hedonism from. You've heard of hedonism. Hedonism is, I do whatever feels good. And if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And if it feels good, I want to do it more. And real given to hedonism is what we kind of think about when we think of like old Roman culture. There was the Roman baths. There was the feasts where people would eat themselves sick. And they had slaves and uh, the, you know, the, just multiple spouses and multiple concubines. And just if it feels good, we're just going to do it. And they just live a life that experiences pleasure. It's hedonism. I'm just going to do what feels good. And, and, and the measure, this, this feeling well, is the definition of flourishing in hedonism. And it's, it's a subjective thing. Flourishing for me could be different than flourishing for you because what feels good to me may be different what's good for you. Unfortunately, what happens when someone else's flourishing looks like your destruction? Boy, that now, now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. If, if, if the rich... at the top, are flourishing so much that everybody beneath them are living in abject poverty. Now we have a definition of flourishing that's bad for society. Now we've moved from this is an economy to, wow, wait a minute, this is is actually destructive. This is this is, this, is, this is evil, God would say. This is, this is not societal flourishing. And so smarter minds began to philosophize and, and posit what would flourishing look like to a rational mind. And what they, what they came up in, this, in this, this, this reaction to this hedonic, this hedonic type of flourishing, hedonism, where we just do whatever feels good, they said, wait a minute, there's personal health is not, is not flourishing. That, that, that can't be good because people are obese and not exercising and society is not flourishing and that, that, that can't be good. And people's emotions are dependent on getting what they want and nobody can always get what they want. That's just, that's not a realistic life view. And so there has to be something better. This this philosophy. So the Greek philosophers began to began to come up with a new philosophy of flourishing, and they had this term they called the logos. This logos they believed was the all this wisdom would come together, and if everybody learned this wisdom, then then people would begin to flourish. And there was this edemonic definition that they came up with, and instead of feeling well, these Greek philosophers like Aristotle came up with doing well. They, they, they did, we know the Stoics come out of this uh, time frame, and, and they began thinking, okay, where we used to just do whatever we want, and we measured our lives on how good we felt, now we're going to start measuring our lives on how productive we are. They came up with terms like virtue, and excellence, and self-realization. I'm going to realize what my true self is supposed to be. And, and where hedonism refers to feeling well, edomania refers to functioning well. And now society starts to grow. And unfortunately, this is where many Christians depart from the gospel. So just hold on for a second, if you would. They follow Jesus long enough to stop being hedonists. 
They, they follow Jesus long enough that I don't just do whatever I want, whenever I want, and anything that makes me feel good. They, they stop that, but they don't go all the way on to following God in every circumstance. They say, now I've learned to live life practically. I let wisdom run my life. I let the, 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 the plans of the world follow my life. They, they follow Jesus long enough to stop being bad, but they don't emulate the way of Jesus. See, both of these are secular accounts of flourishing, and they tend to ground flourishing on the self. It's what's best for me. This is, this is where they both come up short. This is where both have failed our societies because they point people away from God. Where hedonism is like, I don't care about anybody else. I just want to feel good. We now see that this hedemonic belief is that whatever I believe to be prosperous is what we're going to do. Both of these secular accounts of flourishing tend to ground flourishing in the self. And if one's self-actualization enrichment results in a significant limitation from a Christian perspective. You see, we use our self-perception to decide what is good for us and for others. I collect resources, educational, relational, financial, and otherwise, and use them in the service of my own goals and my own ambitions. You see how that comes short of what Jesus called us to do. But this is the world of the philosophers. From a secular viewpoint, if you're able to shift from hedonism to this eudaimonic viewpoint, then you're going to be more prosperous in this life. But this will lead to bankruptcy in the world beyond, just like hedonism. We live in a world that bombards us with advertisements that fall within these two spheres of influence. On one side, they say, hey, you're going to get pleasure if you just give us money for this product. If you just buy into our philosophy, if you use the thing that we're selling, if you get involved in what we're doing, then you're finally going to get the pleasure you've always wanted. And on the other side, this eudaimonic sense of purpose, they say, hey, if you just give us our money, you enroll in our course, you do things our way, then you're going to be successful and you're going to be actualized in the life that you always dream of. You're going to get stuff done. But neither of them can deliver on the promise of being your best self. Why? Here's what the greatest minds have to offer. They, 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 have, they have two options for us. The greatest thinkers in the history of the world, here's what they have to offer. Either go out with a bang, enjoying your life to the fullest, or get your act together. That's it. That's all they got. That's all they have to offer. Just be more productive or just be more happy. That's it. For Jesus, the vision of flourishing is not a long list of moral commands of what you need to do and what you need to avoid. It's not about being obeyed, but it's a character formed by an overflowing, generous love that you can only receive from God. This is what John said again. Let's write it down. Jesus said, God does not delight. 
Well, that's, that's, the, that's the wrong scripture. Well, what do you know? I'm going to read it anyway. John 16, 33. Go back if you would, Josh, please. There. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. I've spoken these things so that in me you may have peace. There's an invitation that Jesus is offering us there. Jesus is offering us to come into the life of God and live a life of peace that we have never known through pleasure or through productivity. Now, in this world, we know, like, you got to get your act together, right? If you were raised in a home that didn't flourish financially, you might need to take some of those courses and learn how money works, right? You may need to learn how finances work. You better learn how business works. And if you live the life of vice, of addiction, of just seeking pleasure, well, it's good to go ahead and come to Jesus and get delivered of that and realize like some delayed gratification is necessary to be prosperous in this world. Has anybody learned that? I'm going to have to put off some satisfaction today so I can flourish a week from today. I remember having to teach young people about credit cards. And they're like, but you agree that credit cards are a blessing, right? I said, credit cards are spending next week's paycheck today. That is not a good plan for the long term. I understand if you use a credit card and you can pay it off. But I have found in this life, if you want to prosper financially, listen to me, this is Carl. I'm not a financial planner. But if you want to get ahead, don't spend money you don't have complex right there, right? Amen? Don't spend money you don't have. Meet with people long enough and you'll see they can't afford the rent, but they have a $700 car payment. Don't spend money you don't have. You don't have any money and you don't have any furniture, you sit on the floor till you can find a box. Sit on a box till you can afford a chair. Sit on a chair till you can afford a couch. You'll be okay. A little delayed gratification will work out better than renting furniture for 40% or whatever they do in those demonized places, right? Don't let them... You know, you know, you know, you know furniture, was, furniture rental was illegal up until very recently. Furniture rental... And check cashing places were illegal because they take advantage of the poor. The interest rates are so high, they violated laws. And that we see them in the most economically challenged neighborhoods where the least financially literate people have the least financial literacy. Why are we renting furniture in these places? Why why is that okay in this? You could rent... I saw you can rent rims for your car. Where, where do you got to be in life to be so dumb? I can't afford rims. I'll rent some rims. This will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. We, we, we need to be able to flourish without getting everything we want. Amen. Amen. Human flourishing begins with a divine love that is received and then it's extended to others. Let me tell you, real human flourishing. I I, I hope you get this concept. If your life is dictated by all the arrows in your life pointing toward you, you're never going to flourish. 
When your life lives in such a way that you receive the love of God and all the arrows point outward, you're not looking at yourself. You're not looking at your bank account. You're not living by your sports team winning. You're not living by how many likes you get, by how popular you are, or by how many people think you're awesome. But if you're living in a way where you are overflowing with God's love and your heart is to bless the people around you, when the arrows start pointing outward, then you begin to know true human flourishing. Does that make sense? This is where we want to live. If, if all the things we worry about are about, oh, how am I going to get this done? Or how are people going to think about me? Or how am I going to get ahead? Or how is this going to work out? That is, a, that is a trap that you're never going to break out of. At some point, at some point, we need to flip the script on the devil and say, I refuse to be consumed with my own worries. I'm going to begin living God's love and letting it live through me in a way where the arrows point outward. You're like, pastor, I can barely get by. Yeah, but you can give a good word. You can give a little encouragement to somebody around you. You can tell somebody they're going to make it when they think they're not going to make it. You can tell your coworkers, hey, you're doing a great job. I know the boss hasn't seen it, but I have seen it. You can slow down and let somebody in on 95. Radical in South Florida. Radical acts of generosity like that. We could do something like, I don't know, use your blinker and just completely flip the script in South Florida. It would be just, who knows what would happen if people began doing that. Revival might break out if we just started using blinkers in South Florida. Who knows? How, who knows? But human flourishing begins with having a right relationship with God, with others, and with creation. This is what the devil messed up in the garden, and this is how. This is the only way we fix it. We only fix it by being filled with God's love to overflowing and giving it to others. And specifically today, last week we talked about righteousness. We are talking about the peace of God today. Peace. This is what we so long for. The greatest drugs sold in America are anti-anxiety drugs and anti-depression medications. No shame on anybody here. No shade if you're on it. Now, this world bombards us with things to worry about. But God does offer us peace. And at some point we have to say, man, I, 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 I'm on medication. I'm talking to people. Yes, but I have to have at least a glimmer of hope that one day, one day this gospel is going to work in my brain. I'm going to be able to partner with Jesus and live in peace. I'm going to be able to put my head on my pillow at night and go to sleep. Peace with ourselves begins with peace with God. You cannot walk in true peace without having peace with God. If we're going to live a life of peace, we have to go to the one who created us. The hedonists say, ah, you're not at peace because you don't have everything you want. You're never going to have everything you want. Have you noticed that? The moment you get that thing you have been longing for, something just a little bit more that you want. Always. And you're never going to have it together enough. You're never going to be organized enough. You're never going to be successful enough. You're never going to get your act together enough so that it brings peace. No, peace Peace is an inside job. And I don't mean inside as in look inside yourself. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. I'm talking about Christ being in you. I'm, you know, this, 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 this life that the world tries to sell us. The answer is not to rely on, on, on products being added to us 
or things being added to our lives. If we're going to live in peace, we have to go to the one who created us. Evolution, creation, I don't care how you believe how the world started, but the Bible is clear that we are God's creation. We are God's creation. And if we're going to, if we're going to recognize that we are his hardware, we got to operate with his software. The answer is we have to, we have to, re, we have to rely on revelation rather than self to decide what flourishing looks like. Here's what Dallas Willard said. God does not delight in having to always explain what his will is. He enjoys it when we understand and act upon his will. That's having peace with God. That's saying, I know God. I'm at peace with God. And I don't, I don't, I don't need to wake up in the morning. And ask God, what, what should I, what, what, what shoes should I wear today? What, what pants? God, what, what, which direction do I go? No, no, God's like, I, no, just get dressed and, and go, be, be, go, be, go be the church. Just go be healthy today. Go, go live in my love today. Many of us live anxious lives because we've not allowed our identities to be formed by the cross. Peace with other people, peace with this world comes from peace with God. And I am justified. I am made right with God, not because I got it together, not because I gave up hedonism, but because of the gospel. I am dead. Christ lives in me. Jesus is at peace with the world. And since I am one who hosts the presence of God, I am at peace with God. The gospel came. I believed it. I was converted into a follower of Jesus. At that moment, I received the Spirit of God. Now, all of a sudden, instead of me having to look in myself and figure out for myself, what do I, what do I want to look like? What, who do I want to be? What, what, what am I going to accomplish? What's going to be? No, no, no. I look inside, and I see Jesus. I read the book. I read about Jesus, and I see the life that he lived, and I find myself in Jesus. I find my identity when I stare at Jesus. I find my flourishing when I look at the book and when I spend time with the Father and when I see who he is and the peace that he's at. I find myself in him because I have died. Jesus lives in me. It, 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 it doesn't start with me sitting down with somebody and figuring out what my gifts are and what I like to do. It sits with me. It starts with me sitting down and finding out who is this one who made me? What am I supposed to look like in him? And then we find out Jesus. We're supposed to look just like Jesus. And what I have found is that Jesus is at peace with the world. Therefore, I can be at peace with the world. Not because I have everything I want. Not because I have all the pleasure I ever wanted but because of Christ who lives in me. And so I want to teach you very briefly here as we come for landing, hopefully soon, which is almost never true. I want to talk to us how to, how to, how to pray these kind of things. We're going to go through Psalm 63. We're going to work our way through Psalm 63 as a prayer. Uh, I, 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 this has been blessing my life. And I hope that it blesses yours. The, the psalm starts with a, a, a superscription, is what it's called. 
Now, most of the time when there is uh, things in bold in your Bible, they're not actually in the Bible. Someone decided they would add to the Bible. The Bible tells us that's not very good, but they did it anyways, right? And so we don't want to put too much, too much uh, credit or too much weight in, in the bold stuff. But this superscription is actually in the Bible. It says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness. If you've got your Bible, take a look at it. We're going to study the Bible. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, David, pretty cool dude. Did a lot of neat stuff. Pretty important in the, in the, in, in the story, right? Not as, not as important as Jesus, but pretty important to the story. And many times, David was supposed to be the king of Israel. It was a unified kingdom at that point of Israel and Judah. And uh, people were after him. David had haters. David had people who were jealous of him and tried to tear apart his ministry so they could rise to the top and be the man. It did not work out for anybody who tried to do that. Still doesn't today. But, but for David, it just, it just didn't work. But many times, David literally found himself on the run. He's the king, but he's on the run for his life. Um, and uh, I have been to where David's, uh, uh, where his, his castle was, where his house was. Uh, by this point in the Bible, when we get to kind of these points of the Bible, there's archaeological evidence for all this stuff. So some of the early stuff, there's debates about the archaeology and the history. Are they parables that we're supposed to learn from? Is there, but by this point in the Bible, there's actually they're recording what's happening. Right? So I've been, to Dave, I've been to where David's house is. Um, well, there's no house there now, obviously. But. So we see here in Psalm 63, David's writing. Now, I want you to think about this. He's on the run for his life. Imagine you were the king. Imagine you got everything you wanted. Imagine all the things were yours. And you lived a life that, man, there's finally a king on the throne of the land that you love, that is dedicated to the God that you love, and... If you're perverted enough to want this, you have a bunch of wives. I'm good with one. I can barely handle that. I don't know why you'd want more, but he had, he had all these other things going on, right? That's another story. Uh, but he had all this money. He had, the he had all the stuff. And people come to kill him. So he was at the top, and now he's literally a man just running for his life. While he's running for his life, we get to read from his journal. So it says, a Psalm of David, when he's on the wilderness... Of Judah. We start here in verse 1. God, you are my God. I shall be watching for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and exhausted land where there is no water. Now, David, of course, Israel is in a desert. It's just a desert area. There's just rocks everywhere. It's not flourishing at all. Uh, interestingly, uh, Israel took over um, that plot of land, and I'm not going to the politics of it. That's irrelevant for what I'm talking about here. Uh, but the area that Israel took over in, in Palestine, where they started the country, in the last 50 years has turned from desert to lush garden. It is, they, through technology, or whatever you want to call it, blessing, technology, smarts, whatever. Where it was all just rocks, now there are Farms, there's lush landscaping. It's they call it the, they call it the, the the miracle in the desert. Is it a miracle? I don't know. They invented drip irrigation. I'm pretty sure that helped, right? So so, but anyways, it, it's flourishing there. But it was dry. It was like a desert. 
But in this desert land where David is running for his life, he's writing down on paper. He has made up his mind. He's not looking for pleasure. He's not like, oh, in this, in this, it's woe is unto me. I don't have all the grapes I had. I don't have all the cows. I don't have the, the gold and the jewels. I don't have the people. I, I, he didn't say that. He's not looking for pleasure. He says he's looking for God. Hedonism can't be your God when you're on the run for your life. Some things life offers me will be pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the flesh, pleasing to the ego, but they make a terrible God. David is saying, before I dream about success in this Edomonic type of lifestyle, I, before I'm successful, but he's not saying I'm looking for my throne, I'm looking for my authority. He's saying, I look for God. I'm not looking for riches. I'm not looking for wealth. I'm not looking for fame. David is saying, I am looking for God. It's so easy to make an idol, even a good idol. Worldly success is not a bad thing to look for, but it's so easy for it to become an idol and make it your God. David's declaring that neither pleasure nor worldly success will dictate his life. He's saying it while he's on the run. I need you to hear this. When you're in the pit, when you're in the bottom, when you're at your low point, when people have turned on you, when your money is running out, when it looks like that job that was going to come through didn't come through, when you thought you could count on somebody, but you found out you couldn't, then, then you will find out what you have built your life on. And if you do not build your life on God in the high points, you definitely are going to collapse in the low points. Friend, if you will make up your mind today that no matter what happens, I am going to be looking for God, that when you hit that low point, and you may be on top of the mountain today, I'm here to tell you, it's a season. Again, if you're at the bottom of a pit, it's a season. And when you hit that season, as we all do from time to time, if you do not have God as the foundation of your life, your emotions are going to be right there in the pit with you. David, we can see, made up a long time ago, made up his mind that God is going to be the reference point of his joy. It is going to be the reference point of his pleasure. Come on, somebody. He tells himself, no, God is my God. My, my deepest desires can only be filled by God. I'm alone, but my real problem right now is I need God. We were born dry and thirsty. We live lives of sin that cut us off from God's grace. But the answer to that dryness is not in the world. It's found in God. The gospel is the answer to the question we didn't know we were asking. We didn't even know we had this question, how do I find peace? But this is what our soul is longing for. And the gospel answers this question we didn't know we had. How can I have peace with my creator? Do what David did. Decide, God, you are my God. Me catching the flight isn't my God. Me getting to do the thing isn't my God. Me following God. God is my God. And whether, whether I am on the top or I'm on the bottom, that never changes. So what David did, he decided this, that God loves him and has a plan for his life, just like he loves you and has a plan for your life. Whether you think you're at the bottom of the pit or you're on top of the mountain, God has got you. God has a plan. God knows a way out. God knows a way up. 
God knows a way forward. This is not something you have to figure out on your own. You can have peace with others and finally some peace with yourself. You can lay down your life and put on Christ. We have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of us. We have access to God that David could only hope for. We have access to God that Ezekiel prophesied about. Joel, look to the day that we're living in right now, that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, and the sons and daughters will prophesy, and the old men will dream dreams, and the young men will have vision, and even on my daughters and sons you will prophesy. This is what they long for, and here we are living in this covenant, this day that God is among us, not just here, not just in a temple, but right here in our hearts for those who will accept Jesus. And we can live at peace with God, knowing that he is with us at all times. Can you say amen? amen. This is very good news. Amen? amen? This is very good news. The life of Christ is in us to shape us and form us. The hustle culture of this world will never give you peace. Hustle culture will not get you there. Uh, people, 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 they, we, we, we celebrate our ability to hustle. And I'm proud of all of you who work hard, especially if you have to. But we were not created to work 80 hours a week for 70 years and then die. That, that was not what we were created for. And Duke talked today that it is God who gives you the power to make wealth. We need to extend our faith to say this world doesn't dictate how I make my money. I'm not a slave to this world system. My God, my God has a cattle on a thousand hills. He is well able to teach me so that my family can flourish. No shame if you're not there right now. No shame. But I just want to deposit in you just something that's in my spirit that God can give you the ability to provide for your family in a way where you can actually be home and present with your kids. God can give you ideas for a business and give you a business plan, can give you favor in marketplaces with loans. And God, 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 all he needs is to breathe on something. I mean, you are not a slave of this world. Some of you need to just get it in your brain. You're not paid according to your work. You're paid according to your ministry. And your priesthood is determined, determines your, your pay. And how you, your relationship with God has more power over your finances than your ability to grind. I just want to put that on your spirit, man, right now. Just if you could just lean into God. Lean into God. Maybe that business idea will work. Maybe God knew what he was talking about in your prayer time. It's like, ah, I can't talk about that right now, God, I'm praying. No, 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 no. This is what we need to be talking about. Your life is important to God. I, this isn't in my notes. I want to share this anyways. I've said it many times before, but I feel like people need to hear it. You ever pray and you're trying to talk to God and he's talking about all, you know, all these other things he's coming up to your mind? You know, you get distracted. Here's what I like to do when I'm in prayer, when I'm in real prayer. I sit with a notepad. I have my journal, but I have a notepad. And when these things come up in my mind that I'm thinking about, I just say, God, I'm glad that what's important to me is important to you. Thank you so much for bringing this up in my prayer time. I just bring it before you right now. And then I write it down because I know it's something, you know, don't forget, you got to do this thing. Thank you. This is important to you as well, God. And I just write it on my little notepad. Now I can deal with that later. Now back to my time with Jesus. Amen? We, amen. We, don't, we, don't, we don't live, come on, we don't live disembodied lives where our natural life is not important to our spiritual God. Oh, I got my problems and then there's God's stuff. No, 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 no. We are fully embodied humans. Jesus was fully present in every situation. 
And he was able to be present because he understood that I am God in human form. Therefore, my human needs are important. My spiritual needs are important. Jesus liked to eat. We see in the Bible, he eats a lot. The dude is eating. He supernaturally burned calories, I think. That's what's happening. He's, I think multiplying fish burns a lot of calories, right? Walking on water burns a lot of calories. I have not tapped into supernatural calorie burning, Duke. I've not tapped into that level. Quite, I'm going to press in. I'm going to press in for the anointing. To supernaturally burn calories. Who's down for that anointing? You could build a big ministry off of that anointing right there. I tell you what, lay hands, people will drop their heavy burdens. Hallelujah. <laughs> lay your burdens at the altar. Watch out. Hallelujah. I don't know how we got there, but I want you to operate in faith. Hallelujah. In this world, let's get back to this. God is the active agent in this world, and we partner with him. He says in, uh, in, in Joel 3, he says, let the weak say, I am a warrior. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. This is, this is, this is talking directly to mental health. This is talking directly to faith. This is talking directly to your peace. The devil's trying to say, you're going to die. And you can't do nothing about it. Look at these people. Maybe they got lawyers. Maybe they got all the experience. Maybe they got the money. Oh, no. I should just crawl up in a ball and die. I'm nothing I can do. And Jesus like, let the weak say, I'm a warrior. He said, I don't feel like a warrior. I feel like a mouse with a little one pea shooter. And I got one bullet. And I don't know if it's going to work. And God is like, man, are you going to stay there unless you will partner with me in my word and start declaring... I am a warrior. So we got David. He's on the run. David learned this. He was out. He would tend the sheep, and he'd be out there just with the sheep alone in the middle of nowhere, just worshiping God on his little whatever kind of guitar they had back then. He's just strumming away, singing to the sheep. Those must be the most anointed sheep in all of Israel, Duke. I tell you what, them, them sheep knew the glory of God because David would be out there, and he'd be having encounters with God. This is the key. It's Look at this, Psalm 63, verse 2. Let's, let's move on in our Bible here. I'm, I'm getting somewhere. You're like, oh, pastor, we're going to 8. Don't worry, I, I'll, I'll speed up here. Here's what David says. Listen, he says, So have I seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. Oh, how did, do, how did, how did David get this, 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 this unction? How did he get this resolve? That in the midst of my problems, I'm going to be looking for God. Because David had encountered God. He, 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 he had seen the, the glory and the presence of God. He'd seen the power of God. Not, not, not in the famous church services. Not in the, in the mega cathedral. No, no. On the backside of nowhere. When it was just him and the sheep and he was doing his job. I tell you, you could be at your job. You wear some headphones. You just listen to some anointed messages. You pray in tongues. People don't know so many languages out there today. They don't know what you're saying. You just walk around praying in the Holy Ghost. People don't know what you're saying. They might catch the interpretation. Who knows, right? You just, just get anointed. This is, this, is, this is who David was. As a matter of fact, this is, this is super interesting. Let me show you something. In Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2. So, so Jesus, he, he lived among them, right? He lived among them. And, uh, and, and they thought that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, and they were going to have this army like Joel talked about. Like, I'm a warrior. We're going to take over everything. And, and then this, the, the warrior guy died. 
right? He's dead. And, 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 and they're on the day of Pentecost. They're waiting. Jesus said, wait. And the anointing of God falls. And people begin speaking in tongues. They speak in new languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, 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 and Peter, he stands up. Check this out. This is so cool. He stands up. And he starts telling them, hey, they're not drunk as you suppose, right? Like, they, maybe later, that's kind of what he's saying, maybe later, but right now, not so much, right? They're not, they're not drunk as you, but, but, and then, and then he says this, he says, he says, but, no, oh, here we go. Verse 25, he, he's telling them, like, Joel prophesied this day, and then he references David. He says, for David says of God, I am the Lord continually. I saw the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, wouldn't you love it when the craziest stuff of God starts popping off and someone says, oh, I remember what Natalia said to me. I remember what Chelsea said to me about her private time with God. Wouldn't you like to be the one who had such a sweet, rich relationship with Jesus that when he invades someone else's life, they say, no, 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 no. I know this looks weird, but I heard of a meeting one time. And then this very thing happened, and their life was changed. That's what, that's what Peter was doing on the day of Pentecost. David was just out there just worshiping Jesus, writing his little journal, writing songs, just worshiping God, writing songs. And so many years later on the day of Pentecost, they're like, this, this is what David experienced. He wrote it in Psalm 16. This is, this, this. This must be God. We, 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 we have to make time in South Florida for peace. We, 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 we have to choose to reject the hustle culture for a little bit of time. We got to reject the entertainment culture. We got to reject the hedonism culture to just be still, be present, and experience the glory of God. We have to get to a place in our walk with God where we can see that Jesus is completely at peace. We have to know someone at peace. We have to be able to look and see, I've never seen Jesus worried. I've never, I've never seen him like, man, I'm, I don't know how this is going to work out, Carl. I just, I don't, I don't know. You were, I was really counting on that to happen, and now I don't have a plan B. No. When I get alone with God, when his Holy Ghost comes into the room, He's dreaming of a brighter future. He's dreaming of success. He's dreaming of fruit. He's dreaming. He's dreaming of you being at peace. Jesus said, in me you have, let's say it, peace. Oh, in the world there's many troubles. We better spend some time being in him so we can have the peace the world needs. I'm sorry. Verse 3. He says, oh God, I'm on the same slide still, aren't I? Oh Jesus. Because your favor is better than life, my lips will praise you. And my mouth offers 
joyful lips. We live a life of thanksgiving. Let me get the band to come up or I'll just preach all day here. I'll just, this is, come on up if you would. Am I doing all right? Yeah, yeah, you get anything out of this? Hear me. We live a life of thanksgiving and praise which transforms our circumstances. Your thankfulness will transform your situation. You're meditating on God's presence. David was, was getting pursued. They wanted to murder him. But he was spending time meditating on the God who he encountered. This has the power to turn what the devil meant for bad into God's good. Let's finish our scripture here. Verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand takes hold of me. Jesus said, these things I've spoken so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Stand with me if you would. We're going to pray. Let me ask you, are you at peace today? Do you need peace? Jesus died so that you could be in him and experience the peace of God. Jesus died so that you could be in him and experience the peace of God. That you could live in a way that does not look like the world. The doctor says, I don't know. I say, well, I didn't ask you. I'm not counting on you. The accountant says, I don't know how this is going to make it. I don't know how well. I didn't ask you either. I need God. In a dry and thirsty land, I need the Savior. What can bring you from this place of chaos to a place of peace? The gospel. It is the power of God to save. The gospel of Jesus Christ is working, setting people free right now. South Florida doesn't need another business plan. It doesn't need a new entertainment facility. It does not need a new way to fulfill its desires. It needs the gospel. South Florida desperately needs the gospel. Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, I want you to celebrate today. I want you to meditate on that moment that you believed the gospel and you realized that nothing is impossible for your God. I want you to recapture that understanding. I want you to recapture that joy. I want you to recapture that faith that though this is impossible with men, nothing is impossible for God. That nothing stands in the way of what God wants to have happen. That there is no power on earth more powerful than Jesus. And when you have Jesus living on the inside of you, all things are possible. Even peace. So we're going to pray today. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not sure you're saved, if you're Maybe away from God. You may be living in sin, which is robbing you of your peace. Maybe you have been afflicted and heavy burdened. Today, Jesus, Jesus is present with us to save. The gospel, the gospel will come. 
The gospel will set you free. The gospel will bring you into this new family of Christians. It will get you free of the hooks of the devil. It will bring you from darkness into light so that you can be an object of God's love, which is what he's always desired. What I want you to do right now is I want you to make a decision. If you believe, if you have enough information to make this decision today, you know who Jesus is, you know why he came, you understand his story, why he died and got raised from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus on the third day was raised from the dead. Ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a historical fact that Jesus walked the earth. So many eyewitnesses saw him after his resurrection. Will you choose to believe today, though, that not only was he man, but he was God? And not just a God, the God. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And would you take a step further today and believe that he is your God? He is the one who can give you peace with the Father. Give you peace with yourself. And give you peace with creation. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I lift up every person in this room today. I thank you, Lord, that you are a very good God and that you sent this word today because you want to save, you want to heal, you want to deliver, Father. There are those who have been living life on their own, who have been trying just to make it in this rough world, in this superficial South Florida. They have been trying to grind and get ahead, and they just can't quite seem to grasp what they were created for. And Father, today I see you stretching out your hand and saying, if you believe in me, in the world there are many troubles, but in me I've come that you will have peace. And I thank you, Lord, that today you are extending your hand to these people right now. And I would pray, Father, that they would be so bold as to reach back and say that, God, you are my God. You are my King. You are my Savior. I receive Jesus Christ today. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I repent of my sins. And I receive Christ as my Savior. I don't feel led of the Lord to call you forward, but I am going to lead us in a really super, the shortest prayer you've ever prayed. We're all going to say it together. We're simply going to say, I believe. Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. He was not a sinner, but he became sin for me. And today I believe. He didn't stay dead, but the Father raised him from the dead. And I believe. And today he's at the right hand of the Father praying for me. And I believe. And one day I'm going to live in eternity with him. I believe. But right now, he's living on the inside of me. And in him, I have peace. Come on, let's say it. In him, I have peace. In him, I have peace. I am a warrior. I can do everything God has called me to do. I am victorious in Christ. I can live in peace. I can live in joy. 
I can live in love in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give a clap offer to the Lord. I want us to go out singing a song. Is that all right? You ready, band? Let's do it, Mikey. If you're a guest today, I, I just so thank you for coming. I'm going to be in the lobby in just a moment. My beautiful bride is serving in children's ministry today. She would love to meet you, but she can't. I'd love to meet you in the lobby, but we're going to go out singing. Amen? Amen. Come on.